0: King, a monthly podcast on the spoken word, episode number 30, July 2020. Introducing Estuary, a discussion of my latest dialect manual. Hello and welcome. With the world in turmoil, I hope you find some respite in my podcasts. I know producing them is very good for my sanity, helps me set aside the global problems for a, just a little while. So let's dive in. Starting with our quiz, guess that accent. Last time I played this clip and challenged you to say where on the planet the speaker grew up. My summer house is located in near, located right next to their forest, so it's very nice during the summer to go to the forest and grab some strawberries. And I love my home. If you guessed Mongolia, You are amazing. It was Ideas Inner Mongolia 1, submitted by Idea Senior Editor Derek McNish and his student Karen Vance. The subject, born in Ordos, Inner Mongolia, had been living in Michigan for three years when she was recorded. Mongolia, home of Genghis Khan and his grandson Kublai Khan, 18th largest country in the world in the world, yet the most sparsely populated sovereign nation, with only 3.3 million people, half of whom live in the capital, Usambatar, according to the Wikipedia article. To hear the whole recording, search for Mongolia1 at dialectsarchive.com. Now here's this month's challenge. Where did this speaker spend her formative years? I was throwing apples down, the dog came, they ran, they left me up in the tree. So I'm pinned in the tree with the dog at the bottom of the tree, just barking, and I'm just I'm just scared to death. And she comes out and she's like, What are you doing up in that tree? I was like, Nothing. She said, Yeah. She said, Where are the rest of where the rest of the gang? I said they left me. She said, Girl, get down from that tree. So she I said, That dog, your dog gonna bite me. And she called the dog and she held the dog so I could get down. Get the answer next time on In a Manner of Speaking. If you listened to last month's podcast on ritual speech and its opposite, unscripted, improvised, conversational speech, you will remember that I referred to faux hesitancy, deliberate stumbling and mumbling from actors as having become what I called authenticity signaling devices. In other words, theatrical cliches or rituals in themselves no more inherently authentic than any other stylistic affectation. After the podcast, I got some very nice emails from listeners, including Simon Ratcliffe, lecturer in voice at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire in England. Simon wrote, I've just listened to you on ritual speech, a lovely, amusing survey of the spectrum, as you say, between formal and informal styles. I've been discussing with my second-year actors their hesitations, pauses, stutters, throwaway manners, with which they punctuate speech in order to seem authentic in filmed monologues. You've given me more ideas about how I can open up the subject with them. It connects with this thought, how our sense of ourselves as independent, unique selves is overstated. We are much more interconnected, interdependent, our heads full of other people's voices, other people's speech, than we Westerners usually acknowledge. The actor, especially, speaks on behalf of others, for the community, society, being represented in a narrative. Thanks, Simon, for reminding us that the speaking on behalf of others for society concept is worthy of consideration by actors. (laughs) After all, Actors are famous for many things, but self-effacement is not one of them. Simon, you got me thinking about the etymology of person and persona. We are so enthralled today to the ideas of individuality, personhood, personality, separateness, in fact, when you get right down to it, that it's something of a shock to find that person, in its Latin origin, had more to do with an actor's mask, something you sounded through, persona, or possibly amplified by. This suggests the idea to me that the individual human being is simply a character, one facet, of a single multifaceted organism, and as Simon is hinting, someone who speaks on behalf of the group or community, or reiterates society's ideas. Individuality is a beguiling idea that flatters me, isn't it? Puts me at the centre of the universe. But the origins of the terms – person, persona, personality, etc. – might suggest a less self-centred paradigm. Then, even at the same time as I was giving that idea room in my head, I realised that one of my very favourite actors, Hugh Grant, has actually elevated hesitancy and disjointed phrasing into a unique style. Totally personal in our modern sense of personal. His speculative and tentative way with dialogue seems completely authentic. Authentic to Hugh Grant, despite how often we parody him. Here he is in Notting Hill at his hesitant best.: Well, I'll just be going. Um, then it was nice to see you.: The thing is. With you, I'm in real danger. It seems like a perfect situation, apart from that foul temper of yours. (laughs) But my relatively inexperienced heart would I fear not recover uh, if I was once again cast aside as I would absolutely expect to be. Uh, There are just too many pictures of you, too many films. (laughs) You know, you'd go and I'd be... uh, Well, buggered. (laughs) Hugh Grant's speech is, of course, thoroughly BBC English, Queen's English, Received Pronunciation, or RP, on screen and off. It's what I teach actors in my standard British English dialect manual. But my main topic today, the dialect we now call estuary, may eventually topple it from its once mighty position. And you may not yet have even heard of it. So where does the name come from? The estuary in question is that of the River Thames, the largest river in southeast England. From its source a little upstream from Oxford and running east down through the capital down to the North Sea, the Thames is tidal for nearly 100 miles, over half its length. Hence the Thames estuary. Estuary is the tidal part of a river dominates southeast England. It roughly bisects the most populous and most politically, artistically, and economically powerful part of Britain. The term estuary English was coined by David Rosewarn, R-O-S-E-W-A-R-N-E, in an article by that same title that he wrote in the Times Educational Supplement nearly 40 years ago, October 1984, when he realised that, as dialects always do, RP was evolving and fading as the dominant prestige dialect of British English. The sounds of London's Cockney, which I teach actors in my The Cockney dialect manual, were mingling with it. At the same time, new sounds, neither RP nor Cockney, were developing. The upward and outward social, geographical, and economic mobility of London's working class, and the downward pressure of a more egalitarian politic, diminishing RP as the professional and social entrance ticket it had once been, were among the factors driving this change. More and more presenters on the BBC, once a bastion of establishment values, more and more professionals in all walks of life, and even younger members of the aristocracy, were abandoning it. Although it was still being taught to actors training for the theatre, as essential for the period British drama they would always have to perform, It was no longer being drilled into them as their everyday style of speech, as it was when I trained for the theatre. If you haven't yet heard my podcast with David Crystal on the origins and history of RP, it's number 22 from November 2019. You might actually wish to listen to that before you finish listening to this podcast. David says there that he once overheard Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, future king, in conversation with his former search and rescue pilot colleagues up in north wales where crystal lives he says the prince's speech style was full of the signature sounds of estuary however just a few minutes later when the prince stepped up to the platform to give a speech his rp was back at full strength showing simply that as we all do the prince code switches to suit the moment as crystal says in that same podcast he prefers the term General British English, distinguishing it from General American English. He points out that estuary is a collection of different accents, as perhaps any broadly applied label must be, and that most of the signature sounds can be found in either RP or Cockney. So estuary English is still a contentious term, but it's caught on. Yes, it shares features with RP and Cockney, but for me it now has enough different features of its own to finally stand alone, particularly as it is widely accepted as standard pronunciation and no longer stigmatised as Cockney had been. For non-British English-speaking actors and for British actors from other regions, it's crucial that they learn estuary. And that's why I've finally just this last month published my analysis so let me discuss estuary a little with you but first before i do can you identify the following performers they're all speaking some flavor of estuary listen i met a woman kind of woman it makes want to go back in time to before you met her whatever the hell life was like then it's not as bad as the hell now knowing she's out there and you can't have her What well, i'm I'm to say is, could you write me a prescription for Percocet? Live with your mum and dad? No. <laughs> How old do you think I am? 12? 22? <laughs> 23? Oh, I like you. You can stay. I'm 30. <gasps> old mate now. <laughs> I think we've come a long way though, right? Because when I first watched television, there were no black people on it at all. If so many black did come on, people thought there was something wrong with the set. They'd be there on the phone go. to the TV repairman. Hello, there's a dog block on my telly. Can you come and get him off? How did you do? So the first one was Ricky Gervais from Ghost Town. The second one was Sally Hawkins and Eddie Marson from Mike Lee's Happy Go Lucky. And the third was a much beloved English comedian, Lenny Henry. So Lenny Henry's inclusion, among the others, uh, just goes to show that estuary is spoken across ethnicity boundaries. All kinds of ethnicities use estuary. And multicultural London English too, MLE. The thing I'd like to say first about estuary and its historical precedents, RP and Cockney, the thing about those dialects is that they're not separate dialects. They are a continuum, particularly in the Southeast, in in the London area. I suspect that this is common to all places where there's a prestige accent and and another less prestigious accent that the speakers of the two versions are able to code shift a little bit, move up and down the continuum. Uh, And this is so important to actors who might be playing someone at a particular spot on the ladder uh, this brings back to me my memory of, of how I learned to code shift when I first came to London at age 12 and encountered RP and Cockney and very quickly learned to identify people on the different parts of the continuum. Uh, it was almost, You could almost identify it professionally. It's, it's been said that you can almost gauge the uh, the bank balance to the nearest zero by someone's accent. I don't know if that was ever true, but it's a fun idea to contemplate and you have noticed in all of those costume dramas from the BBC the Downton Abbeys and the Pride and Prejudices that in the great households of the day from the lord and lady of the house down to the meanest kitchen maid there are social ranks in those houses in the upstairs downstairs dramas and and the lady's maid would speak differently have a different brand of 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 speech from the kitchen maid or the cook. So actors very much have to be able to play up and down that continuum. I thought for fun I would um, give you that continuum in the form of the prologue to Romeo and Juliet and move from very old-fashioned conservative RP right down to Cockney, moving through estuary. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love, and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end nought could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage, the which, if you with patient ears attend, what ear shall miss? Our toil shall strive to mend. So without doing an exhaustive analysis, you heard, uh, at least in the conservative RP end of thing, you heard, heard, heard things like two. so we'd hear sue's new blue shoes mutiny become too, 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 to 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 So you've got that Spread of that vowel. Similarly, on a word like seen, you've got the uh, conservative RP end of seen, and then that shifts to seen, 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 goes all the way down to that diphthong. And you've got dignity, dignity, and dignity, and dignity, those kinds of shifts. You've got those final L's like in civil, which in estuary and certainly in Cockney is more like civil civil blood. Civil blood in civil blood civil blood you can hear. Civil blood makes civil hands. Civil blood makes civil hands. Civil blood makes civil hands. So the treatment of those final L's, those post vocalic L's is on that is on that continuum too. Things like th's fourth to fourth fourth the fatal loins fourth the fatal fourth the fatal so uh, these three things to these three things, these three things these three things these three things th's intervocalic t's like piteous piteous overthrows piteous to piteous that cockney treatment you can, Can hear piteous, piteous, or piteous, in Estuary. A nice, significant vowel to play with is. Oh, don't go home alone. Don't go home alone. Don't go home alone. I don't think it was simply because I was a wannabe actor in my early teens that I was able to move up and down that social scale depending on the company I was keeping at the time. I, I I think instinctively, a lot of a lot of Brits are able to code switch that way depending on the. On present company, so they can present a different aspect of themselves, a different version of themselves, or be more accommodating to the people they're speaking with. That code shifting and accommodation, I don't think, is quite as common in America, where where dialect doesn't classify you quite so stringently. Perhaps a word like patient. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. The the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. You can drift up and down the scale on words in that lexical set. And to my mind, nowhere is this continuum between RP and Cockney and Estuary more in evidence than in a very favourite film of mine, Howard's End. Wonderful Merchant Ivory film. And I'm thinking of the character of Leonard Bast, played by that wonderful British actor Sam West. The scene I'm going to play for you is when Leonard Bast comes to call on Emma Thompson and Helena Bonham Carter, the two Schlegel sisters, both top-draw RP speakers. Leonard, of course, by contrast, is the poor clerk whom they're attempting to to befriend and, and to assist out of his poverty. And Leonard, you will hear in this clip, is aspiring to politeness and sophistication and is, is coming as close to RP as he can without seeming presumptuous, if you see what I mean. There's always that game of playing. I want, I want to be accepted, I want to fit in with your world, but I don't want to presume to have been born to it. And that's always the, the class game that actors in British dramas are playing. So here's Sam West as Leonard Bast in a clip from Howard's End. Well, do take a seat in any case, Mr. Bast, and let us know how we can help you. You wouldn't remember giving me this? Not, not... Well, outside. that was how it happened, you see. Hi. What happened? Where did we meet, Mr. Bast? Oh. For the moment I don't remember. It was more than a year ago, at the Ethical Society. The lecture was on music and meaning. Oh, I see. So the mistake arose out of my card, did it? The, the lady who called here yesterday thought that you were calling as well and that she would find you here. In the afternoon, I said to my wife, I said to Mrs Bast, I have to pay a call on some friends. And Mrs Bast said to me, do go. But while I was gone, she wanted me on important business and thought I had come here, having to the card. And I begged to tender to my apologies and hers too for any inconvenience we may have caused you. So you will have heard how he comes within an inch of of their level of RP, but dares to go no further, even if he was capable of it. So you heard things like ethical society and music and meaning. Instead of ethical society, music and meaning. Just a a hair's breadth away from the Schlegel sisters' RP. It's a finely calibrated game that that the, the Brits play. And that actors in British dramas must be able to play too. So I'm going to close this uh, little preview of Estuary with providing one of the two monologues from my new Estuary material. I will provide two monologues from plays or films that are that require the dialect when I'm when I'm teaching an accent or a dialect. And this again is is Scott from Happy Go Lucky that I played you a clip earlier, but this is a slightly different scene. And I'm going to do it three different ways. In RP, classic Cockney and Estuary. Again, this is the driving instructor from Happy-Go-Lucky, Scott, played by Eddie Marson. Had he been an RP speaker, he might have said this. OK, Poppy, your boots are inappropriate for driving lessons. You can't control a car in high heels. They may be good on the dance floor. They may be good on a beach when you're pissed with your boyfriend. But they're not suitable for driving. If we went all the way to Cockney... Okay, Poppy, your boots are inappropriate for driving lessons. You can't control a car in high heels. They may be good on a dance floor. They may be good on a beach when you're pissed with your boyfriend, but they're not suitable for driving. But Scott lives in the middle with some of those, with blending those two um, historic accents, but introducing some new sounds as well. So in his style, in Eddie Marson's style, it goes something like this. Okay, poppy, your boots are inappropriate for driving lessons. You can't control a car in high heels. They may be good on the dance floor. They may be good on a beach when you're pissed with your boyfriend. But they're not suitable for driving. So there's a little little taste of estuary. New kid on the block. At the same time, I've also released a manual to teach the Birmingham dialect. Perhaps the most mocked and most reviled speech in the whole of the British Isles. People say absolutely dreadful things about it. I love it. (laughs) But then I love all accents and dialects. Well, nearly all. Here's one of my uh, practice sentences from the uh, Birmingham manual. If someone was acting a bit daft-like, my granny used to call him a yampe. So I know all the actors and dialect coaches listening to this will be anxious to get copies of these new manuals, which leads me to an even more important announcement. A brand new edition of my accents and dialects for stage and screen. Ta-da! It's just out, and I've called it the Deluxe Streaming Edition. Deluxe because it now contains a whopping 27 dialects and accents, adding Estuary, Birmingham and Jamaican. In fact, all the dialects and accents I've ever published in one 426-page anthology. And Streaming because Instead of delivering the all-important sound files in the form of CDs bound into the back of the book, you now get them as streaming audio files from any of your internet-connected devices. So it's still a physical book you can actually hold in your hands and turn the pages and scribble in the margin. People still love books, it seems, and I do too. But the sound files you now stream from the internet using a personal password that comes with the book. Changing to streaming audio meant we no longer had to produce CDs and bind them into the book. This cut production costs significantly, so we could actually make this much bigger, better book a lot cheaper—just seventy-four dollars and ninety-five cents U.S. We'll keep offering the earlier edition for those who still like CDs, as long as there's a demand. It's priced at ninety-nine ninety-five. All the details at palmire.com. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, yes, and I'm offering a free copy to anyone signing up for my current series of Zoom Masterclasses running this month and next. See Zoom Masterclasses with Paul under the Coaching tab on the menu bar of paulmeyer.com. Thanks for joining me, Paul Meyer. The clips I played were used under the copyright doctrine of fair use. Notting Hill is directed by Roger Mitchell, Copyright Polygram Filmed Entertainment. Happy Go Lucky is directed by Mike Lee, copyright Film 4 Productions. Lenny Henry at the Apollo is copyright Apollo Theatre Productions. Howard's End is directed by James Ivory and copyright Merchant Ivory Productions. And Ghost Town, directed by David Cope and copyright DreamWorks. Let me close by urging that if you speak English in an accent or dialect that is underrepresented on idea and would like to submit a recording of a friend or a colleague, please take a look at the recently simplified submission procedures on dialectsarchive.com. Don't forget to follow Paul Meyer Dialect Services on Facebook and me on Twitter at Dialect Paul. Join me next time on In a Manner of Speaking.